Hello everyone at Battle Creek Church. Thank you for your amazing generosity. God has used your all-in campaign to empower a global compassion movement to produce results that are truly remarkable. Thank you so much for your trust. Because of our partnership with you, 2023 has been another miraculous year of hope. With your help, we've responded to more than 75 disasters and humanitarian crises around the world. Empowered and equipped over 34,000 women and girls, trained 25,000 farmers in sustainable best practices, and together with your help, we fed more than 530,000 children in 33 different countries. We've also hit two milestones. Since 1994, we've now served over 200 million people and distributed over $2 billion in supplies. Together, we're bringing light to dark places and delivering hope to people who need it most. So on behalf of everyone at Convoy of Hope, every farmer trained, every woman and girl empowered, every disaster survivor, and every child fed, thank you. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely incredible what God has done through us as a church, partnering with Convoy of Hope. And one thing that wasn't mentioned there is that since their birth, Convoy of Hope has been trying to get a place in the country of Egypt and has not been able to do so until recently because of their partnership with Battle Creek and Pastor Alex. There are people on the ground right now trying to get supplies into Gaza to help with what's been going on in the Middle East. So again, thank you for your faithfulness and generosity. It's amazing what God is doing through our church. And now let's, let's join up with Pastor Alex for week two of Christmas Threads. In the Old Testament, intricate prophecies weave a narrative anticipating the arrival of Christ. Matthew unravels the threads, revealing that every strand eventually connects to Jesus. Welcome to the entwined story of Christmas Threads. Well, good morning, church. It's great to be with you today. And before we jump into part two uh, of uh, Christmas threads, let, let me just say to you, it's about four people, five people this week have emailed me, is it too late to go to Greece in January? It's not too late, but in a few days, it will be uh, too late. And so if you want to sign up to go January 9th with us on the Steps of Paul trip into beautiful islands of Greece, you need to sign up today at battlecreekchurch.com forward slash trips and uh, we can get you uh, on if you already have a passport, okay? And so today, I want us to begin praying together. If you are able, would you just take a knee at your seat? And if not, just bow your heart before the Lord. And I want you to ask him to let the word of God come alive in your heart and in your life today. Uh, Would you just, in your own words, submit yourself before uh, the ministry of the Holy Spirit? Would you thank him for incarnation? Would you thank him that Christmas means that the word of God, Jesus Christ, became flesh and dwelt among us, that that he may deal with our greatest dilemma, our sin, and make a way for us to be reunited with our heavenly father. That is the good news of Christmas. Would you ask the Holy Spirit to help you receive the very good news of Christmas? And in this season, would you ask him to help you share and spread the good news uh, of Christmas? Father, today we bow before you. Let the word of God come alive in our lives and do its work. In Jesus' name we pray, and together we all say amen and amen. And so if you weren't with us last week, we started a series where we're looking at the threads of prophecy. 
prophecies in the Old Testament that speak about Jesus Christ in the New Testament. And last week we started with the very first one. And we talked about how Matthew reported that Jesus would be born of a virgin and the theological implications of the virgin uh, birth. That was the first of the five prophecies in Matthew that he mentions in his Christmas story. Now today, uh, before we dig into the next two, we're going to deal with two today. I, I want to talk about prophecy in general uh, for, for a minute. Prophecy is very important because it tells us that God is intentional. He did not make any mistakes with you. you. You have made mistakes. I have made mistakes, but he doesn't make mistakes. And you are not a mistake. And every single part of your life can be intentionally used and, and shaped by a God who loves you and wants to express that love to you. So I want you to remember that today as we dive into the next two uh, prophecies. So let's dig into Matthew uh, today in the Christmas story. Matthew chapter 2 and, and verse 1 is where we're going to pick up uh, today. It says, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Under those lines right there, if you would. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. By the way, I love how the biblical writers always take the good news, the story of Jesus, in this case, the birth of Jesus, and put it in the proper political context, proper historical context, proper geographical context. In other words, this is really happening, and it did happen, and it is documented, and it's a part of history. And, and, and so this is not something that stands outside of history. This is a story that was interwoven into our history, and the Bible writers were very clear about giving the details that you and and I could verify uh, through history books and the history of the world. Now, look at what it says. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is this newborn king of the Jews? We saw the star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. Verse 3, King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone else in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priest and the teachers of the religious laws and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? Verse five, in Bethlehem, in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet, remember we're talking about prophecies and here it is. This is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah are not least among the ruling cities of Judah for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. So the next prophecy that Matthew identifies is that Jesus Christ would be born in Bethlehem. Now, remember what we're doing is Matthew lays out these five prophecies about the birth of Jesus Christ. And in the Christmas story alone, these five indicators uh, from the Old Testament scripture indicate that Jesus is the Messiah. So what's important about this one? Uh, what's important about the Messiah coming from uh, Bethlehem? Well, what does Bethlehem mean? Anybody remember? I've, I've said this at least 100,000 times. What, what does Bethlehem mean? The house of bread, right? Uh, here it is in Hebrew. Bait means house. Lahem means bread. The house of bread. Jesus was born in the house of bread. And what was it that Jesus said about himself over in the gospel of John chapter six? He says, I am the bread of life. So the bread of life was born in the house of bread. Makes sense, right? It's almost as if the Lord is saying, I told you, right? And, and, and Jesus came uh, from that place and he's bread. And what does that mean? He's bread. In scripture, bread is the 
picture of the sustaining word of God. And so when you see bread, you think the word of God sustains me. Jesus, remember when he was being tempted by Satan and he was hungry, he had been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights and the enemy tempted him with bread and what Jesus responded is man does not live by bread alone, but by the word of God. And in John 1, it says in the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was with God and the word came came down and lived with us, became manifest, literally. The bread of life was born to us in a bakery, in the house of bread. And this is just one sign after another, but it gets even better than this, that the prophecy about being born in Bethlehem is more than just the name of the place Bethlehem or the place in itself Bethlehem. There's so much more to that thread running through the story and to unpack it, to see what it really means and why it's so fruitful. We're going to look at it and we're going to watch as this plays out. And what we'll see is Matthew quoting this little-known prophet named Micah. And he's quoting Micah. And by the way, this passage will show up this coming week in your one-year Bible. Isn't it amazing how God weaves this all together? So if you're reading the one-year Bible with us, and I hope that you are, thousands are, uh, that you will come to Micah this week, and and you'll find in chapter 5 and verse 2 this prophecy. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, are only a small village among all the people of Judah, yet a ruler of Israel whose origins, look at this, whose origins are in the distant past will come from you on my behalf. And he will stand to lead his flock with the Lord's strength in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. Now, when you read this, this gives several descriptors of the Messiah, several descriptors of Jesus Christ. And I just want to point three of them out to you uh, today. The the first thing that it says is that... that he is uh, the king of kings. Jesus, the Messiah, is the king of all kings. Now look at what it says, ruler of Israel. He's the king of kings. By the way, that word is the very same word found over in Psalm 8. Some of you learned that to song when you were young. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. And his name is the authority over all names, not just in Israel, but over the entire world. The Messiah came to reign, to rule over the world. Now his reign is not yet physical, but it is already spiritual. And you and I, we live in this in-between time. And in this in-between time, it is up to us, it is our choice to make him the king of our lives today. And next thing that you see in this text is he's not just the king, but number two, you see that he is the son of God. He's the son of God. Look at what it says here, that your origins are in the distant past, in the distant past. Now that phrase in the distant past in Hebrew are these two words, yom Olam. Yom means day. You've heard of Yom Kippur, right? That means the day of atonement. Yom means day. Olam means eternity or eternal past. So Yom Olam means literally the day of eternity. His origin is from the day of eternity. Really what it means is it's from the time beyond time. 
The root word of olam actually is the Hebrew word hidden. In other words, this verse means that the one who is going to be born in Bethlehem is from a day beyond our ability to comprehend that day. It is hidden from us. He lives in the time beyond time. In other words, he exists outside of time. You've heard the title, the ancient of days. That's the concept here in in the scripture, Uh, the way that God is described in this prophecy. And this prophecy speaks directly of the divine nature of the Messiah. He's not a man like you and I. There's a thread of divinity that runs through his veins. He's not a human being only as you would think of a human being. He's also the son of God in the very likeness of God. And and in his very nature is God himself. He is the divine uh, son. Finally, we see in this text, the third thing is the king. He's the son of God. Thirdly, we see he's the shepherd. He's the good shepherd. Look at what it says. And he will stand to lead his flock. Now, why is that important? And what does that mean to us? Jesus called himself the good shepherd. Coincidentally, uh, starting January 7th, I'm going to spend four weeks, the whole month of January, in one chapter, John chapter 10. And so if you want to know what to start reading over the Christmas holiday, start reading John chapter 10, the good shepherd. The parallel passage in the Old Testament to John chapter 10 is Psalm 23. And in Psalm 23, you see that he leads us, he protects us, he provides for us, and we will dwell with him in the house of the Lord forever. And Jesus came to fulfill that very promise. Now look at this, all of this in this one, two, three little verses from a little known prophetic book, right? All because Matthew records this interaction where King Herod asked, where is the Messiah to be born? And we get so much from it, but that's not the end of it. Now I want to jump to the fifth prophecy here. Okay. So I've given you number one and number two, and and today we're going to deal with number two and number five. And in a moment, you'll see why uh, we do that. Next week, we'll look at three and four, but I want to jump ahead and you'll see why I'm going to lay these two side by side. And before we read it, let me tell you what happens. Herod asked, where is this king to be born? They said in Bethlehem, right? So he sends his troops to take care of this baby boy in Bethlehem. He doesn't want any competition. He wants no rival to the throne. So he sets out to destroy this baby king. And in a dream, the angel shows up to Joseph and says, Joseph, take your son and your wife and go. Take your family and get out of here and go to Egypt, to to escape to Egypt. And that's prophecy. It's prophecy also. And, And you'll see why next week. But now they're in Egypt. They hear that Herod, the king in Israel, has died. And and so look at what happens in in this text. Let's jump uh, to uh, verse 19. When Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared to, uh, in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. Get up, the angel said, take the child and his mother back to the land of Israel because those who were trying to kill the child are now dead. So Joseph got up and returned to the land of Israel with Jesus and his mother. 
But when he learned uh, that the new ruler of Judea was Herod's son, Archelaus, he was afraid to go there. Then after being warned in a dream, he left for the region of Galilee. Now watch this, verse 23. So the family went and lived in a town called Nazareth. That's what I want to talk about in this fifth prophecy. This fulfilled what the prophet said, he shall be called a Nazarene. Now this prophecy, this fifth one, I have to be honest with you, it's very hard for me to interpret, okay? Maybe not for you, and, and, and if so, write a book and send it to me. But because uh, the other prophecies, the other four from Matthew are pretty straightforward, right? The prophet said, and I quote, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. The prophet said, and I quote, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. That's how Matthew does uh, all of them until he gets to this last one. And this is where he says, uh, the, and the prophets, plural, ha- had said that he would be a Nazarene. Now, here's where this gets a little tricky, because if you were to do a word search like I did for that word Nazarene, you're going to come up empty, a goose egg in the Old Testament. There's no one single prophecy that says the Messiah will come from Nazareth, which if you don't know the Bible, you would think, well, then the they made a mistake, right? No, it's not a mistake because of how Jewish prophecy works. Sometimes, instead of looking at a word-for-word prophecy, what you need to do is find the concept. You need to find the picture, the idea around that word, and see how that thread actually winds through the Scriptures. The word Nazarene can actually mean a few different things, and you see what those things are. You see how they relate to who Jesus is, and that's when these two prophecies come together to click together. So so what I want to do, and this is really cool, I want to talk about the second and the fifth prophecy uh, together, And because if you lay it out on a chart, which I'm about to show you, if you lay it out in a chart that Jesus was born in Bethlehem and Jesus was raised in Nazareth, both of these prophecies, these facts come together to form the perfect image of who Jesus is. So so let's do this. Let's lay them side by side and and you can make this chart in your notes or in your Bible if you want to. So number one, Jesus was from Bethlehem, meaning he's the son of God. Jesus was from Nazareth, meaning he's the son of man. And if you go to the other Christmas story, the the one found in Luke, here's what you see. Joseph was a descendant of King David. So he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. In other words, Nazareth is where Joseph uh, is living. Uh, Bethlehem is where his family line comes from. Now remember, God is Jesus' heavenly father. Joseph is Jesus' earthly father. So Jesus is both God, the son of God, and the son of man. He is the God-man. He is fully God and he is fully man. And if you were with us in our great Hebrew series, you know how important that is for him to be both fully God and fully man. He had to be both human and divine to save us. So so that's the first comparison, but but there's more. Here's the second comparison. Jesus was from Bethlehem, meaning he's the king. He was from Nazareth, meaning he's the servant. Now, we already saw that Jesus, the Messiah, is a ruler. He is our king, but he's also a servant, 
To be from Nazareth meant you were despised. Nazareth as a town was looked down upon. No, nobody ever really thought much of it. In fact, there were only about 1,500 people that lived there. This room was the town of Nazareth in the day of Jesus. And so uh, that's why when, when you hear Nazareth in the New Testament, you hear Nathaniel say over in John chapter 1 and verse 46, when he hears that Jesus is from Nazareth, he says, what good can come from Nazareth? In our context, it would be like Vanita. <laughs> and they're going to build a trillion-dollar amusement park there. I believe that when I see it, okay? And I, and I hope they do. But, but in the Old Testament, Isaiah talks about the Messiah being despised. Let, let's, let's go there. Isaiah 49. The Lord, the Redeemer, and the Holy One of Israel says to the one, watch this, who is despised and rejected by the nations. Write in your Bible there, Messiah. That's the Messiah. To the one who is the servant of the rulers. Now, Paul tells us in the second chapter of Philippians that Jesus was God, right? He was equal to God in stature and in authority, right? But he laid that all down. He laid that aside to take on the very nature of a servant, climaxing uh, or descending to the point of the cross, him dying a death on a cross. And, And so he served us. Jesus, the king from Bethlehem, became the servant from Nazareth. Now watch this one. Jesus is from Bethlehem, meaning he's the shepherd. He's from Nazareth, meaning he's the sheep. And again, in Luke's Christmas story, you hear about the shepherds. Remember? We're going to talk about this on Christmas Eve, the shepherds. That night, there, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. They were nearby because those lands just outside of Bethlehem were where the sheep and the lambs of sacrifice were raised. So, of course, Bethlehem was the place for shepherds, but Nazareth is the place where they were despised. You remember the suffering servant song, Isaiah 53? He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep is silent before the shearers. Your good shepherd becomes the lamb of God, slain to take away your sins. That he was from Bethlehem and Nazareth foretells that. Now watch this one. From Bethlehem, the Jewish homeland. From Nazareth, the Gentile nations. You remember what the prophet Micah said? O Bethlehem Ephrathah are only a small village among all the people of, look at it, among all the people of Judah, meaning uh, Jews, the the Jewish nation. But but what does it say about Nazareth? Nazareth is up in Galilee. And what does Isaiah say uh, about Galilee? Look at what he says. Galilee of the, say it, Gentiles. The people who walk in darkness, they will see a great light. Jesus came to his own people, the Jewish people. The Messiah born in Bethlehem means that he loves Israel, but he's also from Galilee and he grew up around the Gentiles and he loves them too. And he came not just for those who were chosen, he came for those who were rejected in the gospels. You remember Jesus feeds the 5,000? Do you remember that? He feeds, shake your head this way if you remember that. He feeds the 5,000. You remember that? He feeds, but there were two feedings. There was another moment where he fed the 4,000. 
okay? Two different feedings. Some people say, well, they got the numbers wrong. That means it's not correct. No, there were two different feedings. And in Mark chapter eight, Jesus is teaching and he asked his disciples, when I fed the 5,000, how many baskets were left over? And they said, 12. And then he said, and when I fed the 4,000, how many baskets were left over? And they said, seven. The 12 makes sense. The tribes of Israel. 12 represents the tribes of Israel, the 12 disciples, right? That's the number for for the chosen ones, the people of Israel. But seven, what does that represent, okay? Now, this feeding, by the way, happened on the other side of the lake where the Decapolis was. The Decapolis, Deca means 10, Polis means city, 10 cities. The Decapolis, when you read about it, it is 10 Roman cities. The Romans were taking over the whole world and they had 10 cities in that part of the world where now you can go and tour the Roman theaters and the bathhouses and all of the Roman that still stands to this day. It's why it's so amazing to make that trip in January of 2025, because you literally are standing there seeing this with your own eyes. So the 10 cities, and I just have to be honest with you, this bothered me for years because it said the seven. I'm like, I don't understand seven. Deca means 10, and I couldn't put it together. A few years ago, I'm in Israel talking with a Jewish uh, man, and I said, help me understand this. And he said, the seven, the seven ites. Do you remember when Joshua was coming in to take over the land? There were seven ites, remember, that that they had to take over and they had to take the land from. And they said, you can't do it all in a day because there are enemies that live among there. The seven. So that's the Gentiles. That's the pagans. That's the non-Israelites. And so there were seven baskets left over when Jesus fed the 4,000 on that side of the lake as if to say, it's not just the Jews who matter. It's all of the world that matters. He's feeding both the house of Israel and the Gentile nations. Now watch this one. Jesus uh, is from Bethlehem, meaning he was honored. He's from Nazareth, meaning he's despised. The Messiah is highly honored. Look at what Micah says. He will be highly honored around the world, but the Messiah is not just honored. He's also despised and rejected, right? We, we just read that in Isaiah uh, 53. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows acquainted with the deepest grief. Jesus is both at the same time. And these prophecies in Matthew prove that. A couple of simple lines of text revealing so much to us about who Jesus is and who he's looking out for. And here's the truth about you and me. There are times when when we feel chosen. There are times when we feel honored. And there are times when we feel despised and we feel rejected. And sometimes those happen in the very same day, don't they? And Jesus is saying, I get it. And I understand that. Been there and done that. He understands you like no other. Now watch this one. Jesus was from Bethlehem, place of abundance. He was from Nazareth, the place of poverty and scarcity. Uh, Another word in the Old Testament that alludes to Nazarene is this word nezer. You can write that down, N-E-Z-E-R. Nezer in Hebrew means branch or specifically a branch that is cut off. And in Isaiah 11, it talks about the nezer, the branch. Do you remember? The branch, the nezer that's going to come out of the stump, the tree that was cut down. The royal line of Judah was cut off, but one day it would be restored. 
That's the whole of what being a Nazarene meant, to be from a place of poverty and scarcity. And from that place would arise a Messiah. And on the other hand, you have Bethlehem Ephrathah. Bethlehem means bread, Ephrathah means fruitful. So it's not just bread, it's fruitful bread. We're going to talk about this on Christmas Eve. You do not want to miss what we're going to lay before you on Christmas Eve. On the other hand, you have Bethlehem Ephrathah. Bethlehem means house of bread, Ephrathah means fruitful, right? And so look at this whole chart, if you would, and as we walk through this whole chart... I want to remind you that Jesus knew what it was like to come from a place of abundance, and he knew what it was like to come from a place of scarcity. He understood what it meant to be served, and he understood what it meant to be a great king. He knew what it meant to serve others. He had the the experience of being honored, and he had the experience of being despised. He took up the role of both shepherd and of sheep, and he did all of that for you because he is both fully God and fully man. He is a king and a servant. By laying aside his godhood and taking on his humanity, he was able to suffer and die. And by being buried, he would be resurrected, and he would ascend to heaven to the right hand of God, where he is now making intercession for you. Jesus work of salvation is finished, but Jesus' work is not finished. He lives to eternally intercede for you. So if you ever feel like you're on the outside looking in, you're in very good company because God uses the lowly to accomplish greatness. God did not send this message of good news through the empires of Rome and Babylon. He sent it to small villages of Bethlehem and Nazareth. God took down giants through the faithfulness of a little shepherd boy. When the rest of the culture chose the eldest, he he chose the younger. He chose Abel, not Cain, Isaac, not Ishmael, Jacob, not Esau, David, not not any of his older brothers. When, When society looked down on women, God lifted them up. He chose childless, barren women and Rebecca and Samson's mother and Elizabeth, all of whom were shut out because their wombs were shut. And he was giving them a place of honor instead of a place of shame. Why? Is it just because God likes the underdog? No. He's telling us something about salvation itself. And in every other religion and moral philosophy, you're told to summon up all your strengths and to save yourself But at the climax of Jesus' life, he ascended not to a throne, but to a cross. And he himself took on weakness to save us. Now, look, I've spent about 30 minutes on Bethlehem and Nazareth, but but it's not really about Bethlehem and Nazareth. It's really about heaven and earth. It's about spirit and flesh. It's about there and here. In heaven, God is exalted and Jesus is worshiped. On earth, God is despised and Jesus is rejected. In heaven, there is abundance. On earth, we face scarcity. Uh, But Jesus spans the gap and bridges the difference. He is the one who provides a way for us to go from one to the other, to live here but have our spirits there. But but why? Why does God do this? Why does he have us live here when our hearts and our desires and our wants are all there in heaven? 
Why do we feel stuck in Nazareth when, when, when we really want Bethlehem? It's because that's the way God operates. And that's what Christmas is all about. Him bridging the gap between the two. Would you pray with me at every campus this morning? As you bow your heads and close your eyes and open your hearts. Today, if you're here, you've never trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I want to give you a chance to do that today. And I want to lead you in a prayer helping you do that. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, you you, you shall be saved. And so I want to help you confess with your mouth today. And I want to encourage you to believe in your heart today. And so as I lead you in a prayer, I want you to repeat it after me out loud. Confess with your mouth. And as an encouragement to you, I'm going to ask those around you who already know the Lord to confess with their mouth also. So that no one prays alone at any of our campuses. But if you're here today and you want to trust Jesus and give your life to Jesus, would you just pray with me and say, Dear God, I know I'm a sinner, but today I ask you to forgive me for all of my sin. Jesus, come into my life to be my Lord, my Savior, my forgiver. In the best way that I know how, I turn my back on my sin and I trust you alone, Jesus to save me. Now, before we say amen and before we look up, if you just prayed that prayer, can I just say to you, congratulations and welcome to the family of God. In a moment when we say amen, there's a decision card, a connect card in the seat pocket in front of you. If you're watching online, ask for a digital card and they'll send you one. But if you'll take a moment before you leave here and fill that out and check that box that says, I prayed to receive Christ. Our staff team will follow up with you this week and make sure you understand what it is that you've done, understand who it is that you are now in Christ, in the family of God, and will help you take steps to advance in your journey with Christ. Now, Father, in the days to come, in the next few days, in this season, where the name of Jesus is literally posted everywhere, and the title of Christmas is the banner of our nation. I pray, Father, that we would not only celebrate, but we would carry that message into our homes and into our neighborhoods and into our places of employment, into our schools where our children go. And Father, I pray you would use Battle Creek Church in an unusual way in the next few weeks to reach our city, to reach men and women and boys and girls who need a Savior, who need a relationship with Jesus, who who need a local church. And I pray that you would help us do that with an anointing that comes from heaven. In Jesus' name we pray, and together we all say amen and amen. Would you thank the Lord today for moving in our uh, midst? Uh, Jared, come on if you would, buddy.